One of the fun things about streaming services like Netflix is that one can check out TV shows from their first episodes. My wife and son and I have never watched the military crime show NCIS until we subscribe to Netflix. And most of the time we have a running joke uh, that we never arrive early to a fad or a cultural phenomenon. We're, we're usually way behind the curve. And most of you have probably at least watched one episode in the over 15 years that it's been on. Generally, it begins with a crime involving someone in the military. There's a crime scene, and then Agent Gibbs and the NCIS crew, they show up, and Gibbs barks, Who's in charge here? As they're trying to get down to business. Who's in charge here? But you know, getting to the source of an issue has always been a concern, and not just of TV detectives. Whether we're on the right side of the law, like Gibbs, or maybe something's going on that we don't like or approve of, and we want to call someone in customer service, we ask the question, who's in charge here? We try to find that one to whom we can vent, uh, or to whom we can call out. Well, we view a similar scenario today in Matthew chapter 21, starting with verse 23. Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem in the temple. The blind and the lame are being healed. Young and old alike are praising him, but there are those who are not overcome with joy. And in verse 23 of chapter 21, we read that when Jesus enters the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people, they come to him while he's teaching. And they say, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? The chief priests and the elders ask those two questions. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Who's in charge here? Jesus says to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus replies, and <laughs> Jesus is pretty slick. I will tell you by what authority I do these things, but I'm going to ask you one question and you have to give me an answer. Can't you just imagine the priests and the elders standing there, uh, like they've been hit with an anvil in one of those old Bugs Bunny cartoons. Then Jesus asks his question, The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from men? What? Where in the world did that come from? The baptism of John? Well, let's back up just a minute. Jesus is referring to none other than John the Baptist, Luke chapter 3 tells us that the word of God came to John in the wilderness, and he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And in Matthew chapter 3 verse 2, John the Baptist preaches, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's close in time. It's about to happen. And Jerusalem is going out to John. Matthew says that all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, they're going out to John, and they are being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confess their sins. And as we saw at the very beginning of our kingdom encounters in Matthew, almost a year ago, John the Baptist was, he's kind of like a rock star. Everyone in that region, Jerusalem, Judea, and the entire district around the Jordan, they know John. 
They know of his ministry of preaching. He's preaching the repentance of sins, and they are coming forward. John was not a smooth, shiny televangelist. John called sin as sin, and he called people out, and he gave the warning to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John was not part of the religious establishment. John actually took that establishment to task. John had the habit of calling out religious leaders of the day. And here in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus brings the subject of John up once again. Matthew chapter 21, verse 25, Jesus asks, The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say, From heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? If we say, From heaven, Jesus will say, Then why did you not believe John? They had a hard time with John. They, they questioned John's authority. Who gave John the right to preach a message of repentance and then baptize? In essence, if we acknowledge John, then we have to acknowledge Jesus. But if we say from men, we, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. If we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. <laughs> it's a catch-22. That's a hidden difficulty or a means of entrapment, according to Merriam-Webster. The catch-22. By the way, Jesus did tell the disciples, and he tells us, back in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Be shrewd as serpents. Again, Jesus is pretty slick. And in verse 27, answering Jesus the chief priests and the elders, they, they say, we do not know. And Jesus also said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This picture of authority. Authority. Why do the priests and the elders approach Jesus with this question about authority? What authority and by whom was it given? They see themselves as the authority. They don't respect John. They don't respect Jesus. And the reality is, they're more afraid of the people than of God. Remember verse 26? If we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. And boy, we're seeing some similar things in these days when politicians and media are more afraid of people and their constituents than of the Lord. The chief priests and the elders, they will not. They will not, will not recognize Jesus as having authority. And if you don't recognize or acknowledge the authority of the Son of God, how can you acknowledge the authority of God? But as the chief priests and the elders, as they're in serious need of, of spine donorship, their safe answer is, we do not know. We can neither confirm nor deny. Well, then Jesus tells a story. Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. 
But what do you think? A man has two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, the son regretted it and went. This father of two tells the first son, Son, go work today in the vineyard. In recent weeks, we've looked at vineyard work before, as it has come up in Scripture, and it's not an easy series of tasks. It's sweaty, it's dirty, it's hard work. And the father tells the first son to go work, and and the son replies, I will not. Well, that would be a problem in the house in which I grew up. Uh, Back in the day when I would want to get out and drive or want to play guitar, that would be a problem for me to blatantly say, I'm not going to do something. But that's not the point of the parable. The father tells the first son to go work in the vineyard, and the son replies, I will not. But afterward, we read that the son regretted his response to the father and went to the vineyard. We don't know what transpired. We don't know if they had a uh, come-to-Jesus meeting, so to speak. We don't know if the first son had a sense of guilt begin to gnaw at his gut. We can all relate to that feeling when the, when that sense of guilt begins to, to chew and to gnaw and to stir. We don't know the situation, but all we know is that afterward, the first son regretted it and went. He was obedient. The man comes to the second son there in verse 30, and he says the same thing. And the second son answers, I will, sir, but he doesn't go. The father of the two goes to the second son and gives the same command, Son, go work today in the vineyard. How does the second son reply? I will, sir. (laughs) What a good boy. I'll do it. What happens? The second son does not go. We, We don't know why. Matthew doesn't tell us. Again, that's not the point of the parable. Which of the two did the will of the Father? That's the question which Jesus asks. Which of the two did the will of his Father? Well, the chief priests and the elders, they say the first. And Jesus says to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. (laughs) What? Whoa! How? The tax collectors and the prostitutes were willing to admit that they were sinners and that they needed to repent of their sin. The tax collectors and the prostitutes, they believed John. Jesus implies that in time, the tax collectors and prostitutes to whom Jesus refers regretted their sins. And they came forward at John's preaching there. They confessed their sins and they were baptized. Jesus says there in verse 32, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes, they did believe John. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe him. Again, the point of this parable is not the whys or the why nots of the sons. The reasons don't matter. The excuses for not being obedient the first time, that's not the point. Which of the two did the will of the Father is the question of Jesus. 
the answer the first. Jesus' response, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. The priests and the elders, they didn't believe John. And if you remember, John was later murdered by King Herod. Jesus said, John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they did believe John. And you, priests and elders, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward as to believe John. The tax collectors and the prostitutes, they were willing to admit that they were sinners and that they needed to repent of their sin. The tax collectors and the prostitutes, they believed John the chief priests and the elders, those religious leaders of Israel, they saw all those who were coming forward to be baptized by John for the repentance of sins. But the priests and the elders did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe John. The religious leaders feel no remorse when a message of repentance is preached. That, my friends, is scary because we see that even in these days. Those priests and the elders, they can't see the forest for the trees. Or maybe is it that they couldn't see or that they wouldn't see? They weren't willing to even consider. It all comes back to authority. Who's in charge here? We have a rampant difficulty with authority. We always have. Yes, we've seen in recent days how uh, also authority can be abused and how authority can disrespect individuals. We've seen that in Scripture as well. We've seen wicked kings of Israel abuse and mistreat their people. We've seen religious leaders do the same. But at the end of the day, we all have a problem with authority. And now we are sowing the fruits of decades of disrespect. We've seen children disrespect parents. We've seen parents disrespect other adults in front of children. We've seen those children disrespect teachers and those grown children disrespect policemen. And we wonder why we live in a climate of disrespect. Authority. We all want our own way. No one wants to be told what to do. And sometimes it masks itself as convenience and state-of-the-art. You know, I want my custom options. Have it my way. And when we take this custom shop approach, an option, and we want to apply it to every area of life, we will ultimately have a problem. Everyone doing what is right in his or her own eyes sounds like a great option until what is right in my eyes doesn't agree with what is right in yours. When having it my way impacts you having it your way, authority. Who's in charge here? The chief priests and the elders ask Jesus those two questions. By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? And Jesus says, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you. The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from men? The chief priests and the elders said, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, 
neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Well, actually, Jesus answered them. Jesus did tell them when he said, John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. What did Jesus mean? Back in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, we read that Jesus shows up arriving from Galilee at the Jordan River. He's coming to John to be baptized by John. And in verse 14 of chapter 3 of Matthew, John tries to prevent Jesus, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? Jesus answered John, saying, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John permitted Jesus. John tries to prevent Jesus from what John supposes as a means of demeaning the Son. He tries to prevent Jesus from being baptized. Jesus answers John, permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Both Jesus and John want to fulfill all righteousness by both acting in obedience. Jesus wants to be obedient to his Father, and John wants to be obedient to Jesus. And by being obedient to the Son, John is being obedient to the Father. The Son obeying the Father. The prophet John obeying the Son, thereby obeying the Father. Then John permits Jesus. This is a powerful picture there at the baptism of John having authority. It's not audacity, but it's authority. It's an allowance of humbling service. What happens next there at the baptism there in Matthew chapter 3? Jesus rises from the water. The heavens open. The Holy Spirit of God descends upon the Son. The Father speaks His pleasure in the obedience of His beloved Son. John understands his place and his role in the drama of redemption of mankind, and as a result, John's humility and obedience allow him to witness this manifestation of the Trinity. And this manifestation of the Trinity announces that the kingdom of heaven is now here. What was once prophesied and pointed to through the prophets is now realized. And looking way back, all the way back to the book of Exodus, Israel, enslaved, was called out of Egypt to pass through the waters of death at the Red Sea, brought by God into freedom and new life. And in the same way, we see in Matthew, first in chapter 3, Jesus the Israelite, the prophesied Galilean from Nazareth, was brought out of Egypt as a baby to pass through these waters of the Jordan to fulfill all righteousness. Not because he had to repent or turn from sin, no. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, became sin on our behalf. At John's baptism of Jesus, God the Father speaks of his pleasure in his Son's obedience. But it's not only what the Son does by being baptized, but by the Son's obedience in what is to come. The Son going to the cross on our behalf. Authority. Who's in charge here? By whose authority and who gave him this authority, we ask? 
Well, Paul tells us there in the beginning of the book of Colossians chapter 1, God the Father has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. For it was the Father's good pleasure through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And the question that each of us will have to answer regarding the Lord is the question that I'm going to leave you with this afternoon. Who's in charge here? Who's in charge of your life?